0: Chapter 24 of the Story of a Modern Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Story of a Modern Woman by Ella Hepworth Dixon. Chapter 24. In Which Civilization Triumphs. Outside was the wan light of a wet daybreak. A thin rain flipped her face cooling her feverish cheeks. The gas-lamps already took on an orange hue, and in the east there flickered a streak of mysterious light. A faint chirruping of birds began, though London still lay mute. But soon the bird-chorus waxed louder, more shrill, more persistent. The terrible night was over. The dawn was at hand." "'Mary lit her lamp and searched about among her papers "'for the chapter of her novel "'at which she had been at work yesterday before Vincent came. "'She had still to do another happy ending, "'the rapturous finale which the public demanded. "'She tried to fix her thoughts, "'but the great bunch of pinkish lilac irritated her "'with its dominant, sensuous odour. "'Taking the dripping stalks in her hand, "'she went to the open window "'and let them drop gently on the pavement below.' and then there was something else—the large, full-length, faded photograph of Vincent Hemming, which stood just above the pigeon-holes on her desk. Raising the short silk curtain which hid the grate in the summertime, Mary placed the photograph upright in the fireplace and lit it with a match. Then she sat down on the fur rug in her dressing-gown and, hunched up, with her chin on her knees, watched the Holocaust— There was neither sorrow, love, nor anger in the grey eyes, nothing but a kind of curiosity. But the stiff cardboard would not burn. Mary lit it twice with matches, and it caught for a minute, and then went out with a sudden little puff. "'Paper, paper's what I want,' she muttered. "'I wonder if love-letters burn better than other kinds of paper.' And going to the table, she unlocked a drawer, and took out a thick bundle of letters in thin foreign envelopes all vincent's letters during his journey round the world it is poetic justice she thought grimly and then i must keep nothing that will remind me of him nothing 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 so she gathered up all his letters even the last one which she had received the day before alison's death and laid them under the photograph ah now it burned first the boots then the trousers to the knee then to the trim waist of the frock-coat. But then it went out again, leaving Vincent's head and shoulders still there. Vincent's face, with its slightly superior air, the orchid in the buttonhole. How chilly it had grown! A draught came under the chink of the door, and her bare feet thrust into bedroom slippers were deadly cold. Another match. This time it was for good. First the orchid was licked up by the little blue flames, then the chin, the mouth, the eyes. Soon there was only a handful of blackened paper. Well, real life was like that. The love of lovers was a blaze, a whiff, a vain, fleeting thing. She looked at the little heap of fluttering paper, and saw, with her sane vision, Vincent going back to his wife. Yes, he would go to Paris, and then he would go back to domesticity in Queensgate. Next year there would possibly be another child." a boy, perhaps, in whom he would take more interest. He had his wife's fortune, and for sure next time he would secure a safe seat in Parliament. That passionate interview would soon be a mere episode to him. A mere episode, she repeated to herself deliberately, as the white daylight came creeping in at the window. And now a draught, blowing down the chimney, rustled the handful of ashes and dispersed them with a sudden gust— while a ray of wan sunlight crept tentatively along the empty hearth. Late that afternoon a slight figure was to be seen toiling up to Highgate Cemetery. Mary had to see the stonemason about the inscription on her father's grave. They had written to say that some of the letters wanted repainting, perhaps recutting. She found the stonemason sitting straddle-legged on a high tomb near, carefully scraping a marble anchor which had become dingy in the course of years. The man clambered down and touched his cap. She remembered him well as a free thinker and a great admirer of her father's books. They both looked carefully at the professor's grave, and to be sure the line, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield, was almost illegible. The urn on the top was slightly askew. It gets all the wind and rain, you see, Miss Earl, said the stonemason, gazing critically at his work. Your father's tomb, it do stand so I, Almost the highest in the cemetery, I may say, and a sight o' rain we do have up here in winter time. Soaks the clay it does, and shifts the graves. Look at that angel with the trumpet over there. A bit squiffy he looks stony. Some of them tombs have to be repaired constant. I want this seen to at once, said Mary. It'll be a matter of five pound to do it up properly, miss, he said after some consideration, and then he added in his apologetic workman's voice, and I shouldn't like, for his sake, to skimp the job. Ah, we ain't got many like him up here. When the man had gone, Mary stood for a long time there on the little mound at the top of the hill, all around her was the joyous activity of springtime. Nature, who never ceases, who never rests, was once again at her work of recreation. Once again the lilac trees were burgeoning with waxen blossoms. Once again a thrush, somewhere among the great city of sleepers, was swelling its brown throat with an amorous song. The air was loaded with the perfume of May. A pair of swifts were circling and swooping against the tender evening sky. And in all this gaiety of a new-born world, only she was to have no part henceforward she was to stand alone to fight the dreary battle of life unaided and women live long came the ironical thought yes we live long the sunset touched her face her hand the flush of hawthorn above her head at her feet beyond the foreground of spreading trees lay stretched out an ocean of houses softened made vague with a silvery veil of smoke and pricked by endless spires here and there a blurred block a monster hotel a railway station rose out of the great sea of dwellings it was london that stretched out at her feet majestic awe-inspiring inexorable triumphant london standing alone there on the heights she made a feint as if to grasp the city spread out before her but the movement ended in a vain gesture and the radiance of her face was blotted out as she began to plod homewards in the twilight of the suburban road end of chapter twenty four recorded by lisa reichert end of the story of a modern woman by ella hepworth dixon